chapter number 47 of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arthur Piantadosi. Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. Chapter 47. Chapter 47. Fatal Consequences. It was nearly two hours before daybreak, that time which in the autumn of the year may be truly called the dead of night, when the streets are silent and deserted, when even sounds appear to slumber, and profligacy and riot have staggered home to dream. It was at this still and silent hour that Fagin sat watching in his old lair, with face so distorted and pale, and eyes so red and bloodshot, that he looked less like a man than like some hideous phantom, moist from the grave and worried by an evil spirit. He sat crouching over a cold hearth, wrapped in an old torn coverlet, with his face turned towards a wasting candle that stood upon the table by his side. His right hand was raised to his lips, and as, absorbed in thought, he hit his long black nails, he disclosed among his toothless gums a few such fangs as should have been a dog's or a rat's. Stretched upon a mattress on the floor lay Noah Claypole, fast asleep. Towards him the old man sometimes directed his eyes for an instant, and then brought them back again to the candle, which with a long burnt wick drooping almost double, and hot grease falling down in clots upon the table, plainly showed that his thoughts were busy elsewhere. Indeed they were, mortification at the overthrow of his notable scheme, hatred of the girl who had dared to bar to her strangers, and utter distrust of the sincerity of her refusal to yield him up, bitter disappointment at the loss of his revenge on Sykes, the fear of detection and ruin and death, and a fierce and deadly rage kindled by all. These were the passionate considerations which, following close upon each other with rapid and ceaseless whirl, shot through the brain of Fagin as every evil thought and blackest purpose lay working at his heart. He sat without changing his attitude in the least, or appearing to take the smallest heed of time, until his quick ear seemed to be attracted by a footstep on the street. At last, he muttered, wiping his dry, feverish mouth, at last... The bell rang gently as he spoke. Dun, 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 dun. He crept upstairs to the door and presently returned, accompanied by a man muffled to the chin, who carried a bundle under one arm. Sitting down and throwing back his outer coat, the man displayed the burly frame of Sykes. There you are, he said, laying the bundle on the table. Take care of that and do the most you can with it. It's been trouble enough to get. Oh, the washer been here three hours ago. Fagin laid his hand upon the bundle and, locketing it in the cupboard, sat down again without speaking. But he did not take his eyes off the robber for an instant during this action. And now that they sat over against each other, face to face, he looked fixedly at him with his lips quivering so violently, his face so altered by the emotions which had mastered him that the housebreaker involuntarily drew back his chair and surveyed him with a look of real fright. "'What now?' cried Sykes. "'What are you looking at my self for?' Fagin raised his right hand and shook his trembling forefinger in the air, 
but his passion was so great that the power of speech was for the moment gone. Damn! said Sykes, kneeling in his breast to look at her arm. He's gone mad! I must look at him myself here! No, no, rejoined Fagin, binding his voice. It's not. You're not the person, Bill. I've no, no fault to find with you. Are you heaven, haven't you? said Sykes, looking sternly at him and ostentatiously pressing a pistol into a more convenient pocket. Lord's looking! For one of us! Which one that is, don't matter! I got that to tell you, Bill, said Fagin, drawing his chair nearer. Will make you worse than me. Ahoy! returned the drubber with an incredulous air. Tell away! Look sharp! Oh, that's really I'm lost! Lost! cried Fagin. She has pretty well settled that in her own mind already. Sykes looked with an aspect of great perplexity into the jewel's face, and reading no satisfactory explanation of the riddle there, clenched his coat collar in the huge hand and shook him loudly. Speak, will you? he said. All of you don't touch me for all the breath! Out of your mind and say what you're going to say in plain words! Out with it, you thundering old cur! Out with it! Suppose at lap it's laying there, Fagin began. Sykes turned round to where Noah was sleeping, as if he had not previously observed him. Well, he said, resuming his prawn position. Suppose that lad, pursued Fagin, was to peach, to blow upon us all, first seeking out the right folks for the purpose, and then having a meeting with them on this street to paint our likenesses, describe every mark that they might know us by, and the crib where we might most easily take them. Suppose it was to do all of this, and besides to blow upon a plant we'd been all in, more or less of his own fancy, not grabbed, trapped, tried, earwigged by the parson and brought to it by bread and water, but out of his own fancy, to please his own taste, stealing out at nights to find is most interested against us, and peaching to them. Do you hear me? cried the Jew, his eyes flashing with rage. Suppose he did all this. What then? What then? replied Sykes with a tremendous oath. If he would let a lie till I came, I'd grind his skull under the iron hill, my boot and his many grains are always upon his head. What if I did it? cried Fagin, almost in a yell. I, who knew it so much, and could hang so many besides myself. I don't know, replied Sykes, clenching his teeth and turning white at the mere suggestion. Oh, I'd do something in the jail would get me pulled, Charles. If I was trying along with you, I'll fall a body with an open court and beat your brains out before people. Oh, I should have got some strength. Muttered the robber, poising his brawny arm. Oh, I could smash your head in as if a rolling wagon had gone over it. You ought. Would I? said the housebreaker. Try me! If it wasn't Charlie, 
or the daughter, or Bet, or... I don't care who, replied Sykes impatiently. Whoever it was, I'd serve them the same. Fagin tarred the robber, and motioning him to be silent, stooped over the bed upon the floor and shook the sleeper to rouse him. Sykes leaned forward in his chair, looking on with his hands upon his knees, as if wondering much what all this questioning and preparation must end in. Bolter, Bolter, poor lad, said Fagin, looking up with an expression of devilish anticipation and speaking slowly and with marked emphasis. He is tired, tired with watching for her so long, watching for her. What you mean? asked Sykes, drawing back. Fagin made no answer, but bending over the sleeper again, hauled him into a sitting posture, and his assumed name had been repeated several times, now rubbed his eyes, and giving a heavy yawn, looked sleepily about him. Tell me that again, once again, just for him to hear, said the Jew, pointing at Sykes as he spoke. Tell you what? asked the sleepy Noah, shaking himself petulantly. That's about Nancy, said Fagin, clashing sights by the wrist as if to prevent his leaving the house before he had heard enough. You followed her. Yes. To London Bridge. Yes. Where she met two people. So she did. A gentleman and lady that she had gone off to of her own accord before, who asked her to give up all her pals and monks first, which she did, and to describe him, which she did, and to tell her what house it was they'd been married at, and go to, which she did, and where it could be best watched from, which she did. And what time the people went there, which she did. She did all this. She told it all, every word, without a threat, without a murmur. She did. Did she not? cried Fagin, half mad with fury. All right, replied Noah, scratching his head. That's just what it was. What did they say about last Sunday? About the house Sunday, replied Noah, considering. What I told you out before. Again, tell it again, cried Fagin, tightening his grip on Sykes and brandishing another hand aloft as the foam flew from his lips. Hey, sir, said Noah, who, as he grew more wakeful, seemed to have a dawning perception who Sykes was. They also washed it and come last Sunday, as she promised. She says she couldn't. Why? Why? Tell him that. Because she was forward we kept her home bar bill. The more she told him all before. Implied now. What more of him? Cried Fagin. What more of the man she had told them of before? Tell him that. Tell him that. Why that she couldn't very easily get out of doors unless he knew where she was going to. Said Nah. And so the first time she went to see Lady, she... Oh, oh, it made me laugh when she said it, it did. She gave him a drink of laudanum. Hell's fire! 
cried Sykes, breaking fiercely from the Jew. Let me go! Laying the old man from him, he rushed from the room and darted wildly and furiously up the stairs. Bill! Bill! cried Fagin, following him hastily. A word! Only a word! A word would not have been exchanged, but the housebreaker was unable to open the door, on which he was expanding fruitless oaths and violence when the Jew came panting up. Let me out! said Sykes. Don't speak to me, it's not safe! Let me out, I say! Hear me speak a word, rejoined Fagin, laying his hand upon the lock. You won't be. Well, replied the other. You won't be too violent, Bill. The day was breaking, and there was light enough for the men to see each other's faces. They had changed but one brief glance. There was a fire in the eyes of both, which could not be mistaken. I mean, said Fagin, showing that he felt all disguise from out useless. Not too violent for safety. Be crafty, Bill, and not too bold. Sykes made no reply, but pulling open the door, on which Fagin had turned the lock, dashed into the silent streets. Without one pause, a moment's consideration, without once turning his head to the right or the left, or raising his eyes to the sky, or lowering them to the ground, but looking straight before him with savage resolution, his teeth so tightly compressed that the strange jaws seeing through his skin. The robber held on his headlong course, nor muttered a word, nor relaxed a muscle, until he reached his own door. He opened it softly, with a key, strode lightly up the stairs, and entering his own room, double-locked the door, and lifting a heavy table against it, drew back the curtain of the bed. The girl was lying, half-dressed upon it. He had roused her from her sleep, for she raised herself with a hurried and startled look. Get up, said the man. Oh, as ye, Bill, said the girl, with an expression of pleasure to discern. It is, was the reply. Get up. There was a candle burning, but the man hastily drew it from the candlestick and hurled it under the grate. Seeing the faint light of early day without, the girl rose to undraw the curtain. No, it be, said Stoux, thrusting his hand before her. Not enough laugh or I'll go you. Bill, said the girl in a voice of alarm, what do you look like that to me? The robber sat regarding her for a few seconds with dilated nostrils and heaving breasts, and then, grasping her by the head and throat, dragged her into the middle of the room, and looking once towards the door, placed his heavy hand upon her mouth. Boom! Boom! gasped the girl, wrestling with the strength of Morphy. Oh, I won't scream or cry! Not once! Hear me! Speak to me! Tell me what I've done! You know, you she-devil! returned the robber, suppressing his breath. You wash tonight! Every word you said was heard! And spare my life for the Lord heaven as I spared yours! rejoined the girl, clinging to him. Bill! Dear Bill! You can't all kill me! Oh! They got all I've given up! Only this one night for you. You shall have time to think and see yourself with his crime. I will not lose my own. You cannot ruin me or Bill, Bill, for God's sake, for your own, for my. Stop it or you spill my blood. I have been true to you. Upon my guilty soul, I have. 
The man struggled violently to release his arms, but those of the girl were clasped round his, and tear her as he would, he could not tear them away. Bill! cried the girl, striving to lay her hand upon his breast. Well, gentlemen, that dear lady told me tonight of a home in some foreign country where I could end my days in solitude and peace. Let me see him again. I begged him on my knees to show the same mercy and goodness to you. And let all folk leave this dreadful place. I'm far probably better lies and forget how we have lived, except in prayers. I never see each other more. It's never too late to repent. They told me so. I'll feel it now. But we must have time. A little, little time. The housebreaker freed one arm and grasped his pistol. The certainty of immediate detection if he fired flashed across his mind even in the midst of his fury, and he beat it twice with all the force he could summon upon the upturned face that almost touched his own. She staggered and fell, nearly blinded with the blood that rained down from a deep gash in the forehead, but raising herself with difficulty on her knees, drew from her bosom a white handkerchief, bruised merely his own, and holding it up in her folded hands, as high towards heaven as her feeble strength would allow, breathed one prayer for mercy to her maker. It was a ghastly figure to look upon. The murderer staggering backwards to the wall, and shutting out the sight with his hand, seized a heavy club and struck her down. End of chapter 47 of Oliver Twist